All right, check, check. I think we're good. I think we're good. Let me get things started up. We'll do a show. Good morning. Hello, hello. Happy Wednesday to you. This is Just Human number 151. And yeah. Feeling pretty good this morning. I think we're going to hit a bunch of topics. Kind of going to be all over the place. Um, I don't really have, it's not going to be focused on just one or two areas. I've got, a, got several things I'm going to hit on this morning. Um, just caught a piece of news that I want to hit on pretty quick because it's it's good and I like it. Um, before I get to that, though, I want to say, um, if you're watching on Pilled or on Foxhole, thank you. And uh, I had to delete my previous post because I got the timing on it wrong. So I had to make a brand new post right before I went live. So sorry about that. Other thing I want to show you or get to is right over here. And let me go ahead and switch to the screen. I did do a bonus hour. I promised on Monday that I would do a bonus hour either Monday night or Tuesday, depending on whether or not we went trick-or-treating. Well, we ended up going trick-or-treating on Monday night. It was great. It was rainy. It was foggy. It was a bit cold. 
Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a little bit spooky. Um, we got lots of candy and my kids were adorable and had awesome costumes. Thanks to my wife. And we had a great time as a family. And then when we got home, we chilled and, and, and matching Halloween pajamas. It was, yep. Yep. Matching Halloween pajamas and, uh, watched movies and just had family time. So on last night on Tuesday, well, actually yesterday afternoon, I had exactly one hour and I recorded a bonus hour. And at the end of it, I wasn't happy with it. Um, I, I ran over a bunch of topics and I rushed through it cause I didn't have much time and I, I just wasn't happy with it. So I didn't release it. And instead late last night, I recorded a different bonus hour. And on that one, I went over all the latest, um, news related to the Pelosi, David Depap. That's the correct way to pronounce his name. According to him, David Depap. I went over that and I went over the affidavit and the police, the charges and um, some some other things. So if you're interested in that, it's on my rumble right here. It's just human number 150 bonus hour. That's the whole focus of it is that Pelosi story. At the very end of it, I present my theory of what I think is going on, what my working theory is. It's just my hypothesis. Um, more information will come in, I'm sure, and I'll probably end up changing it. Um, I do want to again, make clear as we've gotten in, we've gotten into, and I talked about this on the bonus hour. We've got, got a lot of new people watching the show, which is awesome. Um, and I used to regularly say that I used to reg pretty regularly make a disclaimer that I'm not engaging in binary thinking. I'm not trying to put hats on anybody, white hat, black hat, gray hat, just because I say someone might not be as bad as we think they are doesn't mean I think they're good and vice versa. And it's the same thing with this Pelosi attack, just because I characterize things one way or I'm entertaining an idea or a viewpoint. It doesn't necessarily mean I hold the opposite or don't hold the opposite viewpoint. I'm just chewing on it. I'm twirling it around in my head. I'm examining each side of it, trying to figure it out. And if I make a statement about what I think, what I really think, and like a conclusion, I'll say it as that, that this is my conclusion. I'm sure of this. This is what I'm putting forth. Such as what I've done with other things where I've like said, I'm absolutely sure that there's some form of devolution continuity of government going on. I'm absolutely sure that Biden could not get out of the Doha agreement and that Trump set Biden up with the Doha agreement and that Afghanistan is part of Trump achieving his, his foreign policy of regions of responsibility. Um, there's tons of things like that. I'm absolutely sure. And my conclusion is I feel very strongly, I should say, I mean, I'm not making a, well, I'm, yeah, I'm making a prediction. I don't make a lot of predictions, but I am predicting there will be a special counsel appointed to investigate the Biden crime family. Um, things like that. I'll make it emphatic, but when I'm just chewing on something like with the Pelosi attack, uh, that kind of thing, I'm just chewing on it and I'm entertaining different aspects of it, trying to figure it out. I saw someone in chat describe it as a puzzle. That's right. Uh, Tracy. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to put the puzzle together and see what pieces fit. So 
Anyway, one thing though about this bonus hour, Rumble was having problems last night. And as you can see, okay, okay, I just refresh and it's re it's fixed it. Okay. As long as it stays this way with things in numerical order, 48, 149, 150, 150 bonus hour, 151, I'm going to leave it alone. But if Rumble moves 150 bonus hour and 151 out of place and it's out of numerical order, I'm going to delete the bonus hour and re-upload it. Just FYI, because that, that drives my OCD crazy. I want, I want things to be in numerical order on here. Uh, something else... And I'm, I'm interested in some feedback on this. As you can see, usually I put thumbnails. Sorry to do this housekeeping thing at the beginning, but I want y'all's feedback. Um, so what I've always done is put these thumbnails in, like just a screenshot from the show, onto the episodes. But starting here, September 30th, Rumble started giving me a lot of trouble, and it wouldn't let me upload thumbnails to these episodes. And then it started, and then it it allowed me to do it here. And then Rumble hasn't let me do it for the Danchenko trial. So I just stopped putting screen caps from the show as a thumbnail. And now it's just got my logo. Um the bonus hour though, because it was a recorded episode, it automatically put in a screen cap of the show. I would be interested in y'all's feedback on this. Do you, do you think or like that it's just my logo and think that looks good and that's what I should roll with and just always have the logo on there because y'all, your eyes are drawn more to the text here? Or do you think I should go back to doing screen caps of the show like this to give you, you know, how the show looks that day? Um, I, honestly, I just want y'all's feedback because I'm on this end and I can't. I mean, it's not. Uh, I, I'm not the consumer of it. I'm the content maker. I will say that when I do these uh, these screen caps of the show, it does help me not wear the same shirt twice in a row or twice in the same week because I can see what I can see what shirt I wore the previous few episodes. <laughs> so uh <laughs> anyway, just want just wanted to toss that up. Okay. So bonus hours on Rumble if you're interested. It's also on my locals and it's on my Substack. I see y'all's feedback. Most of y'all are saying logo. <laughs> so Most people are saying logo. That's cool. That that saves me from having to go back in and make Rumble take accept my updated thumbnail for it. Uh, okay. Piece of news that just broke that caught my attention this morning. Um, do y'all remember back like? Well, I shouldn't have closed my Rumble. I think it was in September. Um, I covered that the uh, the OIG was going to be investigating money sent to and auditing money sent to Af to Ukraine. And I, th I think I think X twenty two put my take on it onto his, onto his report. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. And I got a lot of pushback on it. Like a lot of people were like, "What are you talking about, Kyle? There's not going to be." 
any auditing of Ukraine. This is all bad. Let me, I think I have, I'll just pull this story up. I have it somewhere. It was episode number 141. Oh yeah. I remember this really well. Hold on. I got to show y'all. I remember this really well because I made a funny. Yeah. I remember this. People did not react well to me sharing the link on this. Let me open it up in the channel. No, let's go to context. Okay. So. Ah, right here. I posted this on all my socials, audit of humanitarian assistance to Ukraine. And tons of people were like, oh, that's BS. And there are all these um, emojis, like vomit face emojis, just because it said Ukraine in the name. And so I went back and put it like, no, guys, look, Ukraine response oversight. This is legit auditing of what is going on in Ukraine. They're monitoring the money, which is how you drain the swamp. That's how you catch bad actors is by monitoring. The OIG are deploying resources, including recent supplemental funding to target fraud, waste, and abuse in three high-risk areas, security assistance, humanitarian economic assistance, and diplomatic operations and programs. Well, people didn't think I was right about this. They gave me a little bit of flack. But it turns out American military personnel are now in Ukraine to help keep track of the billions of dollars worth of weapons and equipment the United States has sent since the start of the Russian invasion, a senior U.S. defense official and senior U.S. military official said per NBC. This is that. The U.S. military is auditing their OIG is auditing the money and the equipment going to Ukraine. Now, this is great. Keeping track of it. It also tells you something. It tells you that there is coordination between the U.S. military and Russia. Because there is no freaking way that the U.S. military would be putting troops on the ground in Ukraine in a war zone and risking them getting killed by Russia. And there's no way that Russia wants to accidentally kill some U S military personnel. Right? Like I know that they're, I know that the deep state and the global swamp, they want there to be world war three between Russia and the U S the U S military doesn't want that. Russia doesn't want that. It's the globalist who want that because they want to take advantage of the, the chaos and the destruction that would happen if there was a war. You know, they want the U.S. and they want, they want the U.S. and Russia to fight each other because the U.S. and Russia should actually be natural allies. Um, if not ideological allies or like because of common, out, common principles or anything, we should just be allies because we're both nationalist countries that are about ourselves. America should be America first and Russia should be Russia first. And where we agree, we can agree and where we can make deals, we can make deals and where we can't, we can agree to disagree. It's these globalists who keep trying to put these countries against each other, these two superpowers against each other so that they can benefit from the fallout of it. 
from the friction and the proxy wars and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that there's U.S. military troops on the ground in Ukraine going auditing and monitoring where this aid is going tells you that there's some sort of coordination between the U.S. and Russia in order for this to happen, in order to avoid some sort of accident or disaster. Um, and we know that Russia and the U.S. do this in other areas of the world where we coordinate. And we know that Russia and the U.S. are working together on the new Iran deal, which has been completely no deal at all, despite Biden supposedly being in charge. Um, so just another indication here that things are not what they seem on the world stage. Another indication that Ukraine is not as it seems. It's not as the media portrays it to us. And yeah, not trying to toot my own horn here too much, but I told y'all when this news broke that this was a big deal. And I stand by that. It is. All right. Something else big. Donska Bank prepares to pay $2 billion in money laundering fines. This news broke yesterday on Thursday. This is a settlement with authorities over its involvement in one of the world's biggest money laundering scandals. Denmark's biggest lender had said it faced a potential material fine over its involvement in the scandal in which more than $200 billion in suspicious payments were funneled through its now-closed Estonian branch. Donska said discussions with authorities, namely the U.S. Department of Justice and the SEC, as well as the Danish Special Crime Unit, were ongoing and there was no certainty regarding that outcome. So... That's interesting. Our own DOJ and the SEC are continuing the battle against money laundering. And they've gotten a settlement out of Donska Bank. And I wonder what else they got out of Donska Bank. I wonder if they had some people to, you know, inform on others. If they got some affidavits. If they got a bunch of uh, financial information. A bunch of receipts for where that laundered money went. Estimates for the size of provision related to Estonia case have varied around 10 billion crowns or to more than 20 billion crowns. Uh, that's in uh, Netherlands currency. De Don uh, Denmark's biggest lender has struggled in recent years to improve profit margins, et cetera, et cetera. The bank still has a real legacy problem. It is spending too much on anti-money laundering measures and has too little profits. <laughs> okay. Yep. 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 That's big news. That's, that's bad news for the swamp. That's bad news for the swamp. I love swamp draining news. Okay. A little bit more. Let me get back over here. We'll stay in Europe just a bit because I have some rumble related news over there and I saw a rumble question in chat. I'm going to get to it in just a moment. Rumble. I have a lot of complaints about rumble a lot, but I'm going to give them credit where it's due update on our services in France. Recently, the French government demanded that we remove certain Russian news sources from rumble. 
As part of our mission to restore a free and open internet, we have committed not to move the goalpost on our content policies. Users with unpopular views are free to access our platform on the same terms as our millions of other users. Accordingly, we have decided to disable access to Rumble for users in France while we challenge the legality of the government's demands. This decision will not have a material effect on our business, as France represents less than 1% of our users. The French people, however, will lose access to a wide range of Rumble content because of these government demands. We hope the French government reconsiders its decision so we can restore access soon. Awesome. That is great. Well, bravo Rumble. That is excellent. All right. Now there was a rumble question and uh, where did it go? I get this question occasionally, or there's, there's some confusion because of the way rumble works. So I want to address this. Okay. Yeah. Shix three, one, four on rumble. The date is showing is November 1st. Yes. Okay. So what's up is that on rumble in order to go live, you have to schedule it. You have to schedule when you go live and you have to post, you have to upload a short video. It has to be a video less than 60 seconds. Uh, some people do a preview like Patrick Gunnels. Last I checked, he did a, uh, like a teaser. So like under 60 second teaser video saying tonight I'm reading Epic threads. We're going to be talking about this, this, and this. And then it just loop rumble. will just loop that video. What I do is I just upload a short video that's just a picture of my logo and then Rumble loops my logo. But that's what Rumble makes you do. It makes you upload a under 60 second video and schedule your live stream. And every time you do that, it gives you a unique stream key and a unique uh, URL that you have to then paste into your streaming uh, software in order to go live. So... That's why it says publish November 1st, even though today is November 2nd. I have to do this ahead of the time of when I go live. And honestly, it sucks. It's a it's a crap system because it causes confusion like that. Like um, it has the date up there. It also causes confusion because depending on whether or not you're on phone or um, web browser, you can't see what time it's actually going to go live. So if you're on web browser, it says... This show goes live at 9.30 a.m. November 2nd. But if you're on phone, it doesn't show you that. So that's just how it is. That's that's just the way Rumble does it. If I want to give people a heads up, I'm going live. I got to upload a video ahead of time and it's going to have the wrong date. That's that's what it is. So I don't mind addressing that question because I get that uh, I get that confusion fairly often. And um. Yeah. So that's what's up. JC Bird, thank you very much. Much appreciated, man. JC Bird is one of the most supportive people in this movement, I gotta say. He is always supporting creators. I sincerely appreciate it. All right. We have, or I have a new show, and I'm going to go ahead and let Burning Bright be part of it for now. It's going to be Sunday nights at 9 p.m. or 9.30. 9.30, I think. Sunday nights. First episode is going to be this coming Sunday. It's called Defected, as in we have defected from the matrix of falsehoods that our enemies are constantly trying to program us with and keep us boxed inside of. 
me and Burning Bright going to chill. We're going to talk about narratives and macro viewpoints and things like that. It's not going to be a digging show or a receipt heavy show like this one. It's going to be a conversational show. And if you're interested, it'll be on Badlands. And I'd love to have you in the audience. Starts this Sunday. Okay. Next thing. Story broke yesterday. MAGA porn. Hate for Trump. China-based accounts stoke division. A fake China-based account called MAGA Hot Babe was among nearly 2,000 that sought to influence America's midterms and were removed by Twitter. Twitter has disrupted three China-based operations that were covertly trying to influence American politics in the months leading up to the midterm elections by amplifying politically polarizing topics, according to a trove of data released by the social media giant to researchers and the Washington Post. The operations spanned nearly 2,000 user accounts, some of which purported to be located in the United States and weighed in on a wide variety of hot-button issues, including election-rigging claims about the 2020 presidential election and criticisms of members of the transgender community. Two of the three networks favored the U S right and one skewed left. At least some repeated pro China narratives aimed at an American audience. So it's all over the place. It was on the right. It was on the left and it was pro China. Twitter also took down three networks that were based in Iran, but often claimed to be based in the United States or Israel. The data shows at least one of the accounts involved in the Iranian effort, T votes 81 or 10 votes 81, sorry, uh, endorsed candidates even in local races. An account named 10 votes and using the same logo as an avatar was also active on YouTube, TikTok, and especially Reddit. Twitter said in its disclosure to researchers that it was not attributing the activity to any specific governments. Twitter did not respond to a request for further comment. A spokesperson for the Chinese embassy in Washington said the country was not behind the accounts that were suspended. Twitter's takedown of the networks, which mostly operated between April and October, came during a stormy period for the social media giant as it prepared to be sold to billionaire Elon Musk and faced ongoing scrutiny over how it polices misinformation ahead of next week's midterms. When political control of Congress is up for grabs, yeah, it's going to be a red wave. Twitter and other tech platforms have struggled particularly to curb spread of false information and widespread voter fraud, blah, blah, blah. We know what their narrative is. The disclosure by Twitter as to what is known about China-based efforts to influence American audiences by mimicking the strategies Russia-based operatives used to stoke cultural and political tensions during the 2016 election. In September, Meta announced it had disrupted a China-based operation seeking to influence U.S. politics. The U.S. government has also issued warnings about Chinese influence efforts, as have a spate of reports from cybersecurity firms, including Google's Mandiant, Recorded Future, and Alethea Group. And then they quote somebody from the Atlantic Council. We already know what they're going to say. All right. One network that Twitter removed, the data showed, included 22 user accounts that tweeted more than 250,000 times between April and early October. Their posts were generally pro-Trump and conspiratorial, particularly about the pandemic and coronavirus vaccines. 
Althea had concluded that Chinese-linked accounts on Twitter and elsewhere were pursuing divisiveness but plugging right-wing issues more than left, sometimes with nods to conspiracy theories. In the newly suspended batch, one account tweeted in May that former President Barack Obama was a lizard person who is a member of the Illuminati. According to a copy of the tweet archived at Internet Archive. Twitter said while many of the network's accounts purported to be located in the United States, the company discovered technical signals that indicated many were based in China. While the network was small, some of its users attracted high levels of engagement. One of those accounts, which went by the name Ultra Maga Bella Hot Babe, how creative is that? Author of the Obama tweet, attracted 26,000 followers, more than 400,000 likes, and more than 180,000 retweets before it was taken down. I wonder how many of those were by other bots building up this bot, you know? In May, Ultra, Be- Ultra Maga Bella Hot Babe tweeted a, a meme with a photo of blah, blah, blah. Okay, I don't care. Okay. Stanford's Duresta said 10 votes account acted as a moderator on Reddit's discussion board Political Revolution, which has more than 100,000 subscribers. A recent 10 votes post quoting Pennsylvania Democrat Senate candidate John Fetterman drew more than 800 upvotes in the past 12 days. That's really not that much. Reddit said it had locked the 10 votes account last week, but hey, that account managed to be a moderator on Reddit. So that's on that on that subreddit. So that's interesting. Somebody elevated that account to that. Another China-based account removed by Twitter mixed anti-Russia post with what appeared to be text to be politically tinged pro-Trump pornography. An Iran-based network was also successful in getting nearly 25,000 followers and millions of likes on its tweets, which interspersed liberal and anti-Trump messaging with harsh anti-Israel slogans. It too appears to have taken advantage of being included on a list of liberal Twitter users who request users to follow back fellow, quote, resistors. The Iran-based network also included at least one purportedly conservative user, but Duressa said that they were primarily left-leaning personas. Two other China-based accounts didn't get nearly as much engagement on their tweets. In one network, two accounts posed as Florida liberals, posting about gun control and Marco Rubio. None of their tweets got more than 100 likes or retweets. Twitter also took down a network that included more than 1,900 accounts that often posted overtly pro-China narratives in both English and Chinese. Many of the network's tweets directly echoed the Chinese government's rhetoric, particularly in condemning House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan this year. Okay, in September, Meta announced it suspended 81 Facebook accounts and two accounts on Instagram that were trying to influence politics. Uh, Okay. All right. The reason I'm bringing this up, the reason I'm bringing this up is because one, Twitter has changed hands and I wanted to segue into some more talk about Twitter. Uh, But Twitter taking these accounts down is good. And I want to, the, the main reason I want to bring this up is I just want to remind everybody that not everybody not everybody you encounter online is legit. And I know y'all know that if I ask you that, you're going to be like, yeah, of course. But it's a lot. I mean, there's 
thousands and thousands of fake accounts. Like we already knew that a huge amount of users on Twitter are bots, but it's not just that there's bots. It's that this is part of asymmetric warfare. This is part of fifth gen warfare where you have these networks of fake accounts that have a, their objectives are to sow discord, sow mis dis and mal information. There are bot networks that then retweet them, that promote them, that make them seem legit. They're run by AI and they'll even respond to you. They, they seem like they're actually a person on the end of the other end of the keyboard when it's just a bot. It is, it's a campaign. It's an operation. It's not, it's something you need to keep in mind the entire time that you're online, not just on Twitter, but on Facebook, on Instagram, on Reddit, and I think on Truth Social. I know that Truth Social is supposed to be bot free, but I do not believe that it is. Um, I've seen over the past 45 to 60 days a m severe uptick in black pills in the comments. It's, it's gotten to where I don't like to look at my comment section at all. And I, I hate that because there's, there are good people who are commenting on my post on true social and I want to engage with them and they have good, interesting comments, questions, input. Um, we can have interesting discussions and I like it. I really enjoy it. But for every one person who is commenting on my true social post with like genuine feedback, there's 10 people or more who are just doing reactionary negative black pill post. And I don't believe they're authentic. I've looked at a bunch of them. And what I see is that that's all they do. That's all they do on true social is they go from account to account to account, copy pasting the same responses, or they're just doing like drive by responses. Um, there's no, there's no thinking behind it. Uh, it's just, They're just, they're just trying to add negativity to the comment section with the point with the, the intention, I think of distracting, disrupting and making you not want to be involved in the comment section. And it's, it's always been there. There's always going to be people that, you know, have a negative take on things and that's fine, but I've noticed a massive uptick lately. And of course we have this midterm coming up. Of course it's related to the midterms. And I think it's, very much an operation. So, hey, UK Neil. Yeah, that's a UK Neil. Good morning. And that's a great point. It doesn't help that there's also little groups on True Social that are shit stirring on purpose. Not to name names, but there are groups of people on True Social, a number of them, who that's all they do all day long on True Social is push negativity. So, I'm bringing this up just to make you guys aware and to remind you that it's artificial. It's artificial. So don't let it get to you. Don't let it bring you down. Keep doing you. It gets to me sometimes, but you got to remind yourself that it is artificial. So 
let it go. Okay. This is going to bring me into my next point about Twitter. So I saw some people bringing it up that um, a bunch of people got banned off Twitter who had returned a bunch of anons and, and John got banned off Twitter. So far, I'm still there, but I've never been banned on Twitter because I was never super active on Twitter. So I never got noticed and kicked off before. Um, I'm banned on other places because I was active there. But on Twitter, I was never all that active. So I never attracted a bunch of attention during 2020. Excuse me. And so I survived the great purge on Twitter. I didn't survive it on other platforms, though. So I'm... I'm not surprised that they got banned. What's going on is that Twitter has locked a lot of things down. They've definitely either locked or unlocked their algorithm because my Twitter feed is completely different from what it used to be. I'm seeing tweets from accounts I haven't seen in years. Um, it seems like the shadow banning is gone or something. Something's changed in the algorithm and the way the site populates. But... If you're suspended from Twitter or you were previously suspended, you're still suspended. So if you get on there and make a new account, you're going to end up getting suspended again once they find you. Uh, that is what it is. And just give it some time. Elon Musk is setting up some things. He just got the company. He hasn't even had the company for a week. So, so give it some time before things stabilize over there and he makes changes to terms of service and he makes changes to how things are handled as far as suspensions and unsuspending people and what's allowed and what isn't just give it some time. But if you're interested in being on Twitter, I mean, I think you should, I think everybody should be. Um, I think that you should select, you know, a couple battle, a couple digital battlefields that you enjoy being on and you should be there with whatever alt account you can be just to be a voice on there and just to help spread, um, to share and disseminate good information. So I think it's, um, I think it's a good thing to go ahead and make an alt account and get on there and try and make an impact and to be present. And then whenever accounts are unsuspended, which I think they will be, you can get back on, um, you can get back on. Uh, Brogent, thank you very much for the Rumble rant. He says, I've been locked once a day for my three days back on. It's posting pictures that gets you. That's interesting. So you post a picture and then that the algorithm wants to scan it and then somebody takes a look at it. That's interesting. Good morning, Dwayne and Sammy the Squirrel. Good morning. All right. I am loving what Elon Musk is planning to do as far as charging people uh, for their check marks. Oh, I need to kill this over here. Hold on. Okay. One leg Patriot. Thank you very much for the coffee money, man. I really appreciate that. That is going to help me. Actually, I'm going to call that gas money because next week I'm going to ThreadFest and um, road tripping it there. So you just bought me a tank of gas. Thank you very much. 
I should probably remind y'all of that more. That next week I'm going to be road tripping to Threadfest in Dallas. Really looking forward to it. Um, I'll do a show on Monday, I think. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a show Monday morning. And then I won't do a show Wednesday or Friday. I'm taking some of my streaming equipment with me, though, so I can stream from the hotel if I get the opportunity. And I may do that. I may just do a stream from the hotel at some point next week or weekend and just have a conversational show, talk about ThreadFest, and we'll catch up on what's happened with the, happened with the election. Remember, everybody, please go vote next week and also try and uh, try and get your family members and friends to go vote next week. So, again, thank you very much for that gas money. All right, so Elon Musk has this plan. You've probably heard about it where he's going to charge people. Now, I've heard the price all over the place. I've heard $4.99. I've heard $10. I've heard $20 a month. Now he's saying $8 a month. I don't know. But he mentioned that what he's going to do is, if you want a check mark, check mark is now going to be basically like Twitter premium. So you're paying to get a check mark, and then you get some bonuses with it, like your comments rank higher, your replies rank a little bit higher, um, you're more likely to show up in searches, things like that. I think it's a work in progress, but I generally, I like the idea. And what's cool about it is it takes down the status symbol of a check mark. It makes it where anybody can have that. So it's no longer a status symbol. It's just you're paying a little bit of money each month to support Twitter. And here's some extras that you get, including this check mark by your name. So it makes it, it takes it down. It, these, um, it makes it not this elite marker. It's not this vanity symbol. And so, of course, people are mad about it. All the people who love their status symbol, who rely on their status symbol in order to have any kind of status at all, are super ticked off that Elon Musk is taking away their status symbol. It's interfering with their vanity. And I love that Elon Musk said, look, I literally stole this from Monty Python. And uh, for fun, let's go ahead and watch this Monty Python skit because I love Monty Python. Hold on just a moment. Let me make sure that y'all are going to hear the audio because I did have this audio muted. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Yes, sir. I'd like to have an argument, please. Certainly, sir. <laughs> have you been here before? No, this is my first time. I see. Do you want to have uh, the full argument, or were you thinking of taking a course? Well, uh, what would be the cost? Well, yes, it's five. It's one pound for a five-minute argument, but only eight pounds for a course of ten. Hmm. Well, I think it's probably best if I start with the one and see how it goes from there. Okay. Fine. I'll see who's free at the moment. Uh, Mr. Dubake is free, but he's a little bit conciliatory. Mm. Yes, sir. <laughs> Try Mr. Barnard, room twelve. Thank you. Coming. <clears throat> Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. I didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <coughs> oh, oh, just the five-minute one. Fine. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, I did. You most certainly did not. Now, let's get one thing quite clear. <laughs> I most definitely told you. You did not. Yes, I did. You did not. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. Yes, I did. No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. <laughs> you just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did.
did. No, 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 no. You did just no, then. No, no, nonsense. Oh, look, this is futile. No, it isn't. I came here for a good argument. No, you didn't. You came here for an argument. Well, an argument's not the same as contradiction. Can be. No, it can't. An argument's a connected series of statements to establish a definite proposition. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It isn't just contradiction. Look, if I argue with you, I must take up a contrary position. But it isn't just saying, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> Argument's an intellectual process. Contradiction is just the automatic gainsaying of anything the other person says. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Not at all. No, look. I... Thank you. <laughs> what? That's it. Good morning. But I was just getting interested. Sorry, the five minutes is up. That was never five minutes just now. I'm afraid it was. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not allowed to argue anymore. What? If you want me to go on arguing, you'll have to pay for another five minutes. But that was never five minutes just now. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm very sorry, but I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you pay. Oh, all right. There you are. Thank you. Well? Well, what? That was never five minutes just now. I told you I'm not allowed to argue unless you paid. I just paid. No, you didn't. I did! I did! I did! No, no, I don't want to argue about that. Well, I'm very sorry, but you didn't pay. Aha! Well, if I didn't pay, why are you arguing? Got you. No, you haven't. Is that? If you're arguing, I must have paid. Not necessarily. I could be arguing in my spare time. <laughs> I've had enough of this. No, you haven't. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Man, I love Monty Python. Now I want to now I want to go binge Monty Python for the rest of the day. <laughs> Thank you everybody for the Rumble rants, the gas money, the beer money. Really appreciate it. Um, I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to going to Threadfest. I had a great time uh, last last spring when I went, and uh, yeah. Thank you guys. Your generosity means a lot to me. Thank you very much. Um, Elon Musk is having a great time with his purchase of Twitter and I'm loving it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what he does with the platform and my favorite Judas goat, my favorite Judas goat is also having a great time. And she has, man, she's so good. She's so good. It took me a long time to come around to this took me a long time to come around to this but once you see once you th see through the kayfabe once you see through the the theater that people are putting on you can't unsee it and AOC tweeted out last night Lamau at a billionaire earnestly trying to sell people on the idea that free speech is actually an $8 a month subscription plan now, this is a very clever tweet because it plays into a certain type of hot take, reactionary take. It plays into that, and people are going to react to it and just parrot her. But what she's doing, what she's doing is she's trying to lead all the sheep into putting their arrogant and narcissistic elitist view of themselves, their vanity, on display. She's, she's leading them. She's, she's setting a tone 
and she's she's going to end up pushing and lead like she always does. She's going to lead all the gullible lefties and these checkmark intelligentsia types to defend their check marks and how sanct how they're sanctifying check marks and their their status symbols and they're going to defend it and as when they're doing that to they're going to be exposing just what nasty ugly toxic elitist they are and that's what she's doing man that's what she's doing and once you yeah yeah, you can, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It took me a while to see it, but AOC is an amazing Judas goat. She has provided so many memes on purpose. She says some of the dumbest things on purpose. And she has sabotaged the Dems agenda in the house on purpose she's she's helped make sure that the democrats did not get near as much legislation passed in the past two years as they wanted to she um what she does is a bill comes up and she tries to make that bill as left as possible actually i should move my hand this way as left as possible and she does it in a way to where the moderates can't handle that. The moderates, are, the moderates are like, I can't vote for this bill. It's way too far left. And she does that on purpose in order to sabotage the bill. Then if the bill moves too far to the middle and becomes palatable, she then grabs the squad together and the le most lefty people in the House and has them boycott the vote on it or vote even vote no. She's doing this to sabotage the Dems' agenda while trying to portray herself as the most lefty dim in the house. And it's easy to look at her as, oh, well, she's just this idiot bartender and she's attractive. So that's why she got elected and she had some Democrat money behind her. And, um, she's, um, she's just really dumb. And so she's, and she's, she's just being dumb. No, I don't. That's what I used to think. But I don't think that anymore because it's just too much. It's, it's just too insane. And the damage she does to the party is so obvious that she must be doing it on purpose. Now, I really hope Tina Forte wins, okay? I, re I really hope Tina Forte wins, okay? I'm not... I'm not, you know, if I was in this district, I wouldn't show up and vote for AOC. <laughs> okay. So don't, don't mistake that. Uh, but I do believe that AOC is playing the role of a Judas goat. I think she's doing it. Um, I think she's doing it on purpose. I, I think she's knowingly, I don't think that she is unaware and I brought it up before, if you go on YouTube and look at Justice Democrats' YouTube page, you can look at her recruitment video. She literally signed up for an acting gig. In my opinion, Justice Democrats are ghosts in the machine. I think, I think they're ghosts in the machine, the, op, the operation. And she's one of their Judas goats.
Okay, and close that stuff down. I have, do I want to do this yet? I have a pretty good thread I want to present, but I kind of want to save it for the end. Let me, let me make sure I, I don't have something else. Hold on. Got all that, got all that. Got all that. Okay. Thank you guys for the, uh, for the rumble rants. Um, one legal Patriot says, please come on beer zoom chat on Friday. I would love to meet you. Just come in and chat for a few, man. Um, I would like to do that too. I, this is the thing with, with, um, my Friday nights are almost are pretty much always family time. So that's like why I missed out on those, but I got to make it happen, man. I absolutely have to make it happen. I'll try to make it happen this Friday. Um, yeah, I would love, I would love to. Thank you very much. Okay. I think I want to hit. Well, here, I'll, I'll go ahead and do this Joshua Steinman thread. If you don't know who Joshua Steinman is, he's, uh, was on the national security council and Trump's admin friends with Ezra Cohen Watnick worked with Ezra Cohen Watnick. He's a great follow on, um, on Twitter. I, I really enjoy following this guy. He's very positive. One of my favorite things about him is every single day since January, 2021, he has posted, we are going to win and very positive person and uh, very smart person. Very interesting. And he posted this uh, thread and I like it for a lot of reasons. I was going to end the show with this, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, and hit it now. So this sick video, one last tweet about defense and information before I log off. He's been he tweets a lot about defense and cybersecurity and stuff like that. This is one of the things we tried to convince the Navy of when Ben Coleman brought us all together to help win asymmetric conflicts. Hear me out. Now y'all have probably seen this, but it's worth watching it. Now, let me make sure I don't have this cranked up too loud. Okay. Chip and Phoenix, take a look at what he did. I have never seen anything like that before in my life. Okay, if you don't see what's happening here. Chip and Phoenix, take This guy is riding his car up against the wall full throttle and passes about seven cars. Now, in doing this, he's destroying his car. But it's the last lap, and he's going as fast as he can up against the wall. Because he's up against the wall, he can actually go faster for a short time until his car breaks, right? So if you think about running in a circle, how fast you can run in a circle, if there's a, like, you have to control your speed so you don't tip over, right? Like, you can't just run as fast as, you keep running around in a circle or an oval shape, you, um... The G-forces want to push you out, right? But as you it pushes you out, you're running a wider and wider circle, and you want to lean away from that to make it tighter and tighter. And that you end up controlling your speed in order to negate going too far outside, right? Going in order to go up against the wall. What he's doing, because the last lap, is he's pushing as hard as he can and allowing his car to go up against the wall, even though it's going to destroy his car, he doesn't care because it's the last lap. 
and that allows him to go faster for a short period of time. He passed seven cars. He made it to the championship. I'm not going to make any comments about NASCAR and their, their rule system. I'm a motor racing fan, but I don't watch NASCAR. Amazing move. Amazing move. It's, it's, I mean, that's, that's, it's awesome. It's awesome. They're going to have to make rules against it so that it doesn't happen every single race because it is very dangerous. Um, you don't want this happening every race, but what a moment. This is going to be one of the most classic moments in race car history ever. I mean, look how many cars he passed. It's insane. It's insane. It's insane. But there's a reason Josh brings it up here. He says, one of our members, nameless for now, as he still is in, meaning in the defense industry, was a diehard gamer. And so we started taking a look at hard, a hard look at war games. And we realized most of them are pure trash. And then started pushing to develop high quality naval combat games. Why? Because we came to the conclusion that next generation asymmetric techniques would likely be developed by junior personnel with crazy ideas. The enemy's gate is down sort of stuff. How could we find these strategic geniuses? Start crowdsourcing new operational concepts. We predicted this very type of thing. Notice in the follow-on video that Ross Chastain, Ross Chastain, that's the driver, says that he learned this maneuver while playing NASCAR on the GameCube. Think about that for a minute. It's wild, and we should be doing the same thing in the military. I'll bet we see more drivers do this in the future. Until they ban it. Could drive innovation as well. Reinforced right-side structures, novel paint schemes, even operational stratagems like wall positioning at race close. You never know where novelty will come from. That is very true. You never know where novelty will come from. Now, this is now before I read his last statement, he's absolutely right. What Ross Chastain did was think outside the box. He took something he learned in a video game, but that was applicable in this one specific scenario. In this one scenario, it was the payoff for it was worth it because he got him into the playoffs by passing that many cars. He needed to get he needed that so that he could get into the playoffs. Um he he didn't allow the traditions and the normal style of racing to and what is acceptable and what others have done in racing to cloud his thinking he thought outside the box and said man i got this crazy idea i'm going to try it and it worked it was ace in a way it's asymmetric driving um, you could say it's very clever, but the, you need to find that and the way to develop it is to allow for it. Um, and video games allow for that because they allow you to go outside the box and explore. And there's no, you know, there's, you're just playing a game. So you end up, you know, there's no damage done. You end up trying new things in a game and you think of new ideas and see how they would work. And then sometimes you think of something that actually has applicability outside of the video game and in real life. And that's what happened here. Um, I do think it will be banned in NASCAR, by the way. 
I think it should be banned in NASCAR. I think it's far too dangerous to allow this to propagate because people are going to, it's going to get more and more insane. You have, you have to ban this in my opinion. Um, but if they don't ban it, he's absolutely right that what's going to happen is teams are going to decide to reinforce the right side structure of their cars in order to allow for this to be done more successfully. They're going to come up with different positioning. Like, okay, we're in the last three laps. Make sure you're positioned in this certain way in order to pull off this move or a move similar to it. You know, it's this guy opened up a whole new avenue. Something this thing, this, this, this has been done in video game gaming, video, ga video, ga sorry. This has been done in race car games for a long time. Um, most of you have probably played like Mario Kart or a racing game like that. If you've played any gaming, done any gaming at all. Uh, and so in Mario Kart, I've done some insane things and I'm sure you have too. Like at the very end of the race, at the finish line or something, you, you choose a path that's going to set you up for a crash right after you cross the finish line, but it gets you one or two more positions or something, you know, like you do some crazy things at the very end of the race. Um, so yeah, that's what this reminds me of. Now, his last comment though, his last tweet, this is why I really wanted to pull this thread up. You must have empathy for the end state. In this case, it's about winning the race, but in ours, it was about destroying the enemy faster and better. It's all about having the right mindset. That's all. Now, I really like this comment from him because you have to think about the end point of destroying the enemy and having a mindset of, okay, that's my end goal. My end goal is to destroy the narrative or to get destroy the mystics and malinformation or to find the truth, the truth and disseminate the truth. And you have to have a mindset that that's what we're always trying to get at. And on the way to getting that, when you have that mindset, you think about asymmetric ways, non-traditional ways to get towards that mind, get towards that objective. And yeah, Michelle the Bean gets it. Trump said we went around them. Yeah, Trump has this mindset of, I have this end goal. How, what chess moves do I need to make to get around the obstacles that are in front of me in order to get that end goal? And when you think, when you think about politics and news and information in a way where you're only looking at what is right in front of you, um, it'll cloud your vision. It'll, it'll obscure your vision of your ultimate objectives. You got to have the mindset to get towards it. So like with, with politics, with, uh, getting people out to vote with, which with convincing your friends and family to vote, uh, which candidates to vote for, um, all that kind of stuff. Think about your end goal, but try not to be as direct sometimes because a direct assault on their beliefs is often going to be offensive to them, right? 
you have to have empathy empathy for how you want to for for them and how you want to end up how you want their worldview to end up how you want to inform them how you want to undo their blackpilling right and so often a straightforward head-on traditional path isn't going to work it's like in this race, if he had ended this race the way normally, the way 99.99% of all races had ended or finished on the last lap, he wouldn't have gotten into the championship. He wouldn't have passed all those cars. But because he thought of this, wait a minute, I could try this thing here and I have, that gives me a better chance even though it carries this risk, right? Thinking outside the box like that. He thought about that in the race and... It's not because, well, I don't want to say it's not because, it's because he had the mindset for it. His mindset led him to be creative in that way. So if you change your minds, if you have the right mindset about some of these things that we care about, then you can think of creative ways to get there. You know, like... There's some people in my family I really want to undo their black pills, but I have found that directly assaulting them and telling them how they're wrong, that doesn't work too well. That doesn't that doesn't work too well. Now we don't get in arguments about it, but they actually use typically when I confront their black pills and try and show that it's they're inaccurate, they just kind of blank. And I don't think I made any ground. They act, they just kind of turn off their their mind to it, and they don't they don't really hear me. But if I instead bring something up that's good, like, "Hey, did you see this good thing that happened? Or did you see this funny thing that happened?" Um, then I can gain I can gain a little bit more ground. Um, so yeah. That's why I wanted to present that thread. Man, it, this is all about mindset. This is all about mindset. Okay. I want to have this and this. We're going to get to some DOJ stuff. Want that, want that, want this. Okay, so kind of touching back on the Chinese influence operations and uh, bot networks and all that kind of stuff. We're not talking exactly about that, but as far as influence operations, um, this news broke recently. House Democrat aide fired after ties to Chinese embassy revealed. Representative Don Beyer, I think is how you pronounce his name, Don Beyer, who has been somewhat hawkish on China, removed an employee from his staff because she was actually doing work for um, the Chinese embassy. 
House Democratic staffer was fired after her outreach to other congressional aides, allegedly on behalf of the Chinese embassy, was revealed this week. After an investigation found that the staffer had, had acted improperly, her boss, Representative Don Beyer, swiftly removed her. Congressman Beyer was totally unaware of these acts prior to being contacted by the House Sergeant-at-Arms, reportedly. As soon as he learned of them, he followed every directive he was given by security officials. The staffer in question is no longer employed by the office of Congressman Beyer. Staff spokesperson for for the uh, Sergeant-at-Arms added, Beyer was hawkish on the record on China. He was deeply upset about learning about this. And he said, um, quote, Bayer has been an outspoken critic of China's record on human rights, including their crackdown on Hong Kong and their oppression of the Muslim Uyghur population, as well as an advocate for Tibet and a vocal supporter of Taiwan. Kushner said that Bayer will continue to counter the Chinese Communist Party, et cetera, et cetera. The comments came in response to an inquiry from National Review concerning allegations about the outreach efforts by Hamlet. Hamlet is the person who did this, and I have a picture of her I'll show in just a moment. She was employed as a scheduler. Congressional sources told National Review that Hamlet had sent emails, placed phone calls, and even showed up at the offices of other congressional staffers in order to invite them with meetings with the Chinese embassy in recent months. A source familiar with the situation said that the House Sergeant-at-Arms um, notified Byers' office on Tuesday that Hamlet had requested meetings with different congressional offices, that would be last Tuesday, excuse me, on behalf of people at the Chinese embassy. After staffers and other offices reported being contacted by her, the SSA, Sergeant-at-Arms, office was apparently aware of two requested meetings in the context of meals. The SSA's office initially asked that Bayer refrain from taking any action until it could contact federal counterintelligence authorities. Then, later on Wednesday, this source said that the office told Bayer's team that the consultation was complete, and at that point, Bayer's office investigated Hamlet's behavior on their own, finding that she indeed attempted to facilitate meetings between Chinese embassy staff and congressional staff in the offices of at least two Republican congressmen, which had reported the matter to the staff sar- to the sergeant-at-arms. Hamlet was fired when the Bayer investigation concluded, so... This developed last Tuesday, and by Wednesday night, Thursday morning, she was fired. One congressional aide told National Review that after he ignored several emails from the Chinese embassy staff requesting a meeting about one of his boss's bills earlier this year, Hamlet, a 34-year veteran of Capitol Hill, called his office and then showed up in person asking him to step outside. So this, this lady has been there for 34 years. I wonder how long she's been working for the Chinese. Quote, so she comes to my office and asks that we step out into the hallway and she says she is friends with the embassy and that they have been trying to get in contact with me. She wanted to schedule a lunch. I agreed to having coffee. But when the aide showed up for the meeting in June, Hamlet didn't participate in the discussion. In fact, she sat at a different table with a female embassy staff member. National Review was told. The aide then had one-on-one discussions with a male embassy staffer who was, quote, talking about one of my boss's bills. They didn't like it. In recent weeks, National Review has learned Hamlet had also attempted to schedule a separate meeting between a Republican aide and a Chinese diplomat after that aide had likewise ignored emails from the Chinese embassy staff. 
She introduced herself in a message sent from the official House of Representatives email account. Quote, I have worked on the Hill for nearly 34 years and worked five of those years as deputy scheduler for the late Senator Arlen Specter. My, my, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. She wrote, inviting the staff to a lunch meeting. I would like to introduce you to some friends of mine that work at the Chinese embassy who would like to meet you and have a chat. Now, check out, this is who it is. This is her, Barbara Janelle Hamlet. And apparently she's been working for the Chinese embassy. And I want to tell you all the people she's worked for. Hamlet was a scheduler in Byers' office, but she had previously worked for Arlen Specter, Diane Watson, Mike Honda, Eddie Bernice Johnson, and Charlie Rangel. So, how many years has she been working for the freaking Chinese? And how many years has she been setting up meetings with Chinese embassy staff or diplomats and having, having them arranging lunch and coffee and dinners and other things with Democrat and congressional, I mean, Democrat and Republicans in the house. She got caught and I'm glad she got caught, of course, but I wonder how long this has been going on. Um, I also wonder if she's choking her dog in that photo. That's not a very good way to hold a dog. Um, Bayer seems pretty hawkish on China, right? So I wonder if that was on purpose. I wonder if she tried to get into his office to be um, a scheduler to work in his office in order to have access to other congressional aides and offices. And she chose him because he was hawkish on China. So therefore she wouldn't be, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as, as noticed, right? But counterintelligence officials have been notified of this. And I look forward to reading about the investigation um, into this lady. Also, um, oh shoot, it just flew out of my head. Crap. Oh yeah. Do you guys remember on this show I covered... Um, I want to say it was earlier this year. I want to say it was in spring of this year that the Chinese embassy got busted trying to influence legislation. Um, like they were sending, they were sending all these emails and they were sending notices out to, um, I want to say it was mostly the house of representatives, but I'm not sure. But I, I remember covering a story about the Chinese influence embassy running an influence operation on our on Congress and they were trying to influence bills and they were sending notices and memos to different representatives telling them which bills to vote yes and no on. And they were uh, all sorts of things like that. I wonder if this is connected to that. Like, I wonder if um, like which came first did did our people catch on to that and that led them to this lady or did the Chinese embassy get, get disrupted in that operation? And then now 
they went to this lady and got her to try and get them meetings with staff um, or were both going on at the same time. Either way, there's sure there's there's sure been a lot of I would say good work being done lately to go after Chinese espionage and influence operations in the US, whether it's social media or in Congress or uh, stealing technology and patents and information. Um, there's been a lot and it's and it's good to see. There's also been um, something else. Where Where is it? I have it right here. There's one other thing. This is also from Joshua Steinman. The UK Ministry of Defense sent serving Royal Air Force pilots to China to teach a course to their Chinese counterparts and allowed Chinese nationals to study at UK military technology colleges. Not good. And Joshua Steinman asked, I wonder if the UK telecom infrastructure still has all that Huawei in it. <clears throat> I remember that I covered last week that there were those, um, you know, Huawei's under indictment in the U.S. and that it's so serious. The Chinese sent two intel officers to try and get at the prosecution. Well, they successfully got into the prosecution's office and stole what turned out to be fake prosecutorial plans. But that's what they were trying to get the real ones because they're worried about Huawei um, and this loss, this indictment against them. I think we're going to see Huawei completely banned from the U.S. pretty soon, like legit. Like I know that Trump tried to do it or did do it, and then it got undone. Whatever. I think that was a fake. Um, not a fake. I th I think that Trump banned Huawei, and then Biden unbanned it to allow them to think that it was okay to proceed as they had been, but it was really just to catch them. So not good for the UK, but, uh, yeah. Okay. I saw a massive rumble rant. R Terrell. Thank you very much. Cigar money. Here's cigar money. What book do you recommend for game theory? I want my college age son who is totally based to have a leg up, man. I don't have a recommendation for a book on game theory. Um, yeah, I don't have a recommendation for a book on game theory, and I feel bad. I would love to. If anybody in chat has a recommendation for a book on game theory, that'd be great. Um, you're free to put it in the Rumble chat. I believe... Um, see, I know that there was somebody that I was watching that was teaching about game theory. Um, hold on just a moment. Yeah. Hold on just a moment. That is a great question. Um, all right. So one of my people or one of the, one, somebody, I like this guy a lot. I just like this guy genuinely period. I like this guy, Simon Sinek, and I have read his books. Um, in fact, I should read his books again. It's been several years since I read them. But Simon Sinek is excellent. 
and talking about mindset and other things. And actually, this is a good opportunity for me to take a break, um, a short break before we do the last 40 minutes of the show. And I'll go ahead and play his short little TED Talk thing right here um, about game theory. Now, he's, he's talking about in the context of war, but you can apply the lessons of game theory to so many other things. Um, I love Simon Sinek. I absolutely love this guy because he talks about your mindset and how to, and like worldview. Um, oh, he's so good. Here, I'm going to play this while I take a short break. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll finish up with some, some various links. Hold on just a moment. I'll get this set up. I know it's a TED talk. Just forget about that. It doesn't matter. Thanks very much. At the end of the Cold War, the United States made a policy decision that may be one of the biggest mistakes of the 20th century. It's contributed to chaos and uncertainty in this current day. And it's not based on politics, it's based on games. In game theory, there are two types of games. There are finite games and there are infinite games. A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and agreed upon objective. Baseball, right? An infinite game is defined as known and unknown players, the rules are changeable, and the objective is to perpetuate the game. When you pit a finite player versus a finite player, the system is stable. Baseball is stable. So is conventional war, for that matter. When you pit an infinite player versus an infinite player, the system is also stable. The Cold War was stable. And that's because in an infinite game, there are no winners and losers. We cannot lose the game. And so we work to keep the game in play. Right? In fact, because there are no winners and losers, the only thing a player can do is drop out when they either run out of the resources or the will to play. Problems arise, however, when you pit a finite player versus an infinite player. It's the finite player who then gets caught in quagmire. This happens in business all the time. The game of business is an infinite game. The concept of business has existed longer than every single company that exists right now and it'll exist long after all the companies that exist right now go away. The funny thing about business is the number of companies that are playing finite. They're playing to win. They're playing to be the best. They're playing to beat the quarter or the year. And they're always frustrated by that company that has an amazing vision, a long-term vision that seems to drive them crazy. And over the long term, that player will always win, and the other player will run out of resources or the will, and they'll either go out of business or be bought or sold or merged or acquired or whatever it is. This is also what happened to the United States in Vietnam. The United States was fighting to win. The Viet Cong were fighting for their lives. They would fight forever if necessary. This is also what happened when the Soviet Union was in Afghanistan. The Soviets were fighting to beat the Mujahideen and the Mujahideen were fighting to survive, fighting for their very, very lives. Now, when it comes to policy, you have to know what game you're playing so you can play the right rules. And this became completely clear to me when the Soviets actually drove their tanks into Afghanistan. And Brzezinski, the national security advisor for President Carter, was called into the president's office, and the president asked him, what 
is the policy of the United States. And Brzezinski said, the policy of the United States is to eject the Soviet. That's a finite goal. And then almost as an offhanded comment, he says, and if we can't do that, we'll make it as expensive as possible for them to stay. In other words, the United States accidentally had an infinite strategy, which is not fixed in time. And we don't know exactly what it looks like. What we're trying to do is drain the enemy of will and the resources to continue to play. And 10 years later, the Soviets drove their tanks out of Afghanistan, running out of resources and the will. Now, if you think about what happened when the Berlin Wall came down, we were in an infinite game, Soviets and the United States, and the Berlin Wall came down, and the United States made, again, one of the greatest, perhaps one of the greatest blunders, policy blunders of the 20th century. They announced that they had won the game. They had won the Cold War. No, they didn't. The player dropped out because they ran out of the will or the resources to play. And the problem is, is because they thought they had won the war, they started acting like victors. And the United States imposed their will on the world for about 11 years. And as it turns out, the world didn't like that too much. And as what happens in all infinite contests, new players started to emerge. If you consider how the Cold War existed, it really existed on three tensions. There was a nuclear tension. Both, uh, both uh, states had nuclear weapons to end all life. There was an ideological tension. One was an exporter of democracy and capitalism. The other one is an exporter of Soviet-style communism. And there was an economic tension. That's what kept the Cold War alive and well. Not coincidentally, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The only three things for which we will bear any burden and pay any price and fight forever to defend. Now, the nuclear tension has been replaced by Pakistan and China, oh no, China was already there, Pakistan and North Korea, maybe Iran. The ideological tension, Soviet-style communism, has been replaced by Islamic extremism. And the economic tension, the Soviet Union, has been replaced by China. We don't fear nuclear war with China. But the point is, is all three tensions are alive and well. And you see, the problem is, is they all know who their enemy is, but we don't realize that the Cold War 2.0 is happening. And we are still trying to decide which one is more important. We're trying to win and beat all of these things and not realize that the game is infinite, not finite. And the United States policies these days have become shorter and shorter term, which creates turmoil and chaos in strategy and how we present ourselves to the world. The easiest way to understand the game you're in is when you have an opposing force. In other words, not that, right? So you want great leadership. You want somebody to stay, say what we stand for, but if you don't have that, you get to say not that. So it was really easy. The intelligence services, for example, during the Cold War, they fought like cats and dogs like they fight now, but they could all agree on one thing, not that. And they worked really, really well to combine their forces to face the Soviet Union. We don't have a singular not that anymore, and so we're all over the place. But all of our enemies all have a singular not that, and it's us. Ideally, we want to run all of our decisions through our values. This is, these are what make us enduring. Our values are enduring, and this is what is the foundation of an infinite contest. So you consider up here is where our values lie, what I call the why, our values, right? Um, these things are infinite. They're enduring, right? Down here, you have what I call the what. 
These are our interests. And they are finite. And ideally what you want to do is you run all decisions through our values and then through our interests. Let me show you what that looks like. Sometimes they go in our favor and sometimes they don't. So for example, when we go onto a battlefield and we shoot a bad guy, we will take his injured body, we will bring him into our hospitals, and we will risk American lives to bring him into the hospitals, use American doctors, American beds, American medicines to nurse him back to health. That's not in our interests. But the reason we do it, because it's kind of who we are, it's kind of what we do, it's like, it's our thing, right? <laughs> when we make a decision based solely on our interests, it looks like this, right? So should we torture people? Now the reason we did it offshore is because everybody kind of knew that that wasn't our thing, because if we had no problem with it, we'd just do it here. So we hid it away because we knew it was uncomfortable, because we know what our values are. So what's been happening in the world is we've been evaluating all of the things that have been going on by ignoring our values because we don't realize we're in an infinite contest and we only look at our interests. So we think about what should we do in Syria? And we make a very, very good decision based on Syria and our interest in Syria and we make a decision. And what, would she do, what should we do in Crimea? And what, would she, what should we do with regards to Putin? And what should we do with regards to Iraq and Afghanistan? And we're all over the place. And the problem is, is when you pull back and take a look, now nobody has any idea what we stand for. This is confusing for our allies who no longer trust us because we're no longer predictable. And it's fantastic for our enemies because they can exploit it. Ideally, what we do is we run all decisions through our values first. And though it may not always go our way, just like I said, we make decisions all the time that aren't always in our interests, like bringing an injured bad guy and putting him in our hospitals. Not in our interests. But what that does is it makes us predictable. And it makes our allies trust us because they know what we stand for and they will either stand with us or they'll stand against us. And together we will go through the infinite contest for as long as it takes. This is what we're in right now. The Cold War is alive and well and we will not help contribute to stabilizing the world until we start playing the game we're in rather than playing the game we're not in. So that's Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. Now he mostly talks about business-related stuff. That's, that's how I found him. Um, but it, his principles that he teaches are applicable to so many things. I remember I was uh, really involved with a church when I first found him and I started applying some of the lessons that he was teaching to how I was presenting scripture and how I was um, uh, witnessing, uh, communicating with other people in the church and uh, people who I was interested in getting to come to church. And it was because I started focusing on I started focusing on why and this book. Now this is not game theory, but you asked for a book recommendation. So I'm going to recommend it. This is his book. One of his books. Um, this book is called start with why. And I think it's absolutely one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I recommend it to everybody. And yeah, it talks a lot about business principles and, and things like that. But it's much, much bigger than that. You can uh, take it to talk about, um, or you can take the lessons that are in this book and apply it to 
all sorts of things, your relationship, your church, your business, your, um, your family, your friendships, whatever organizations, it's all there. And it also helps you see things, um, more clearly why other people do what they do or don't do. So I, I absolutely love this book. I can't recommend it enough. And, um, I love Simon Sinek. Now his politics, his personal politics are probably different than mine. I don't know. Um, I don't think I've ever really heard him talk about it that much, but I'm not a game theory expert, but what I do know of game theory and what I do understand about it informs me that Trump is playing an infinite game against finite players. And that's one of the ways I know that he's going to win and that we're going to win is because he is playing an infinite game based on values and principles and trust and truth. And his enemies and our enemies are playing finite games based on control and vanity and love of money and all of those things. They're doomed to fail as long as we continue to play an infinite game against their finite game. Thanks for the rumble rant, R. Terrell. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad you asked for a book recommendation. This was a uh, happy to happy to bring this topic up. Okay. Gimgul Rex says that Simon works with the USMC. That makes a lot of sense to me. He would be, uh, that makes, that, that makes me happy. That's good. I'm glad he does. Yeah. Okay. Um, next thing we got a big win. We got a big win yesterday in Pennsylvania where the district court there, uh, ruled that, um, what is it? The, uh, has to do with the ballot. Here, actually, let me just go ahead and read this. Okay. First day of November, blah, blah, blah. Upon review of the briefs and petitioner's requests and blah, blah, blah. Pennsylvania County Boards of Elections are hereby ordered to refrain from counting any absentee and mail-in ballots received for the November 8th general election that are contained in undated or incorrectly dated outer envelopes. May I remember a bit of a thing in 2020 where there was some stuff about ballots and envelopes that weren't dated or dated incorrectly or whatever. Well, we got a win here. Um, the RNC sued a bunch of other people sued with them to try and get the ruling. No, these envelopes need to be correct. Everything on these ballots need to be, need to be correct in order for them to be counted. And the Pennsylvania Supreme court agreed. Yay. That's a win for our side. Now, does that mean the elections in PA are going to be totally on the up and up? Of course not. But it is still a win for our side, and I'm very encouraged about it. I would like to see more wins from this. Now, a lot, I saw when I shared this, I saw a lot of black pilling saying, well, the Democrats don't follow the rules anyway. All right. Fair enough. But this is still a win. And by the way, man, we're going to get, I think, I think that, uh, I think Oz is going to win this pretty big. It's looking like it's it's looking like that last debate was such a bad idea. Um, I was listening to Rich Barris, People's Pundit, 
who is excellent. And he's, he said that, um, before that debate, things were appearing pretty tight in the Oz Fetterman race, but the internal numbers for Fetterman must have been bad enough that their campaign decided to risk doing a debate because they weren't going to debate, but the internal internal polling must have been bad enough that the Fetterman campaign decided, look, if we don't do something, we're going to lose. So we might as well do a debate. And Rich Barris said that the rumors are that the practice debates with Fetterman went horribly, went, went horribly, but they still went ahead and did a real one. And they got that screen up there behind him or behind the announcer so that he could read on the screen, his answers and he couldn't do it. That debate was so bad. And apparently the fallout from it is so bad that basically it's destroyed any chance he had of winning. Now I'm not trying to count the chickens before the eggs are even late or anything or however that expression goes, but things looking pretty good in PA. Things are looking pretty good. I also saw some data that things are looking pretty good in Nevada. And my understanding is Nevada is a state we really need to win, but it's it's one of the ones that's more difficult for the GOP to get a win there. It's one of the it's predicted to be one of the tighter races. And um things are looking good though. Early voting by Republicans in Nevada is outpacing early voting from 2020. So there are more I think it's I think I saw that both registration and early voting by Republicans in Nevada is higher than it was in even in 2020. So good trajectory there. I'm really hoping Adam Laxalt wins. I think it's Adam Laxalt. It's Laxalt. I think it's Adam Laxalt. I really hope he wins. I know that Rick Grinnell has doing a bit, been doing a lot of stuff in Nevada. Uh, yeah. Really, really, really looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah. Um, I see there are some good signs, guys. All right. I want to get to this announcement. Um, A.G. Garland has announced a new media policy. Now, what this media policy is, is that he had already made this memorandum back in uh, July 2021, and it revised some of how they approached media and whatnot, or how they dealt with journalists. And what he's done is he's codified that. And now that is the official policy of the attorney general. And I thought, yeah, okay, I got the, um, okay, got the archive link. Now, of course, this is the New York Times. I understand that, but I want to take you through this article real quick. Um, before I do, I see a couple of rumble rants. Arturel, thank you very much again. Man, so generous. Um, he asked, doesn't it almost look like the good guys put up Fetterneck to make it so obvious PA had no other choice? I can't argue that. I can't argue that this is so bad that you have to wonder if ghost in the machine in the, in the, uh, the Democrat machine NPA influenced them going with Fetterneck <laughs> even after his stroke, like, man, it's, 
it's bad. I feel, I honestly feel bad for the guy because the plan is, it's pretty obvious what they're doing. They're putting up someone who's not ready to serve medically. I mean, he's, he's physically, he's not ready to do this job and they're forcing him to go through with this when they should have pulled out immediately and put someone else up. But what's going on is that they're going to put him in they They're what their Dems are hoping is they're going to get him elected and they're hoping they're going to win the governor race too. And then after Fetterman is sworn in, they're going to, he's going to resign and then they'll appoint some radical lefty. So it's not like it's, it's real. It's bad, man. It's bad. Arturell, you're blue eyes. I didn't know you were blue eyes. Okay. Well, thank you very much, ma'am. Thank you very much. Um, also, Rwood79 says, My understanding as of lately that PA poll watchers and workers on our side increased from 500 to 5,000. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Blue Eyes, a.k.a. R. Terrell. Okay, and I saw a comment over on Foxhole. Thank you, everybody, for watching on Foxhole. SRG Sparky says Oregon governor race is looking good to going red. Ooh. That would be quite an upset if we get a if we get a Republican as governor in Oregon. That'd be awesome. And thank you everybody watching on DLive. Something happened on DLive and I suddenly have like 20 new followers this morning or I don't know what happened, but that's pretty cool. Thank you guys for watching over there. All right, last thing I want to present is this thing about DOJ policy when it comes to reporters' records. Let's put our filters on because we know we're going to be reading the New York Times, so adjust your filters, and uh, here we go. Justice Department on Wednesday formally banned the use of subpoenas, warrants, or court orders to seize reporters' communications records or demand their notes or testimony in an effort to uncover confidential sources in leak investigations and what amounts to a major policy shift. The rules institutionalize and places in, in places expand a temporary policy that Attorney General Merrick Garland put in place in July 2021. Y'all may remember I covered a couple memos that Garland put out. I think one of them was in 2021 where he told DOJ staff not to talk to the White House. Remember that? There's a, a memo went out, I'm pretty sure it was July 2021, where he told he reminded DOJ staff not to talk to the White House about ongoing investigations. He also put out this advisory about, um, or this memo about um, re journal, re journalist records and notes and all that kind of stuff. Now, there, it came as a response to the disclosure about the bar DOJ and about them secretly pursuing email records of reporters at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. Quote, these regulations recognize the crucial role that a free and independent press plays in our democracy because freedom of the press requires that members of the news media have the freedom to investigate and report the news. The new regulations are intended to provide enhanced protection to members of the news media from certain law enforcement tools and actions that might unreasonably impair news gathering. 
The broad prohibitions are a major change in how the Justice Department has come to approach leak investigations in the 21st century when it began a crackdown that spans administrations of both parties and has put pressure on reporting on matters of national security. The publisher of The Times, who was under a gag order in 2021 that shielded from his own newsroom's view a legal fight over the email logs of Times journalists, praised the new policy. We applaud the Justice Department, blah, 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 blah. Exceptions to the policy are narrow. Among others, it does not apply to situations in which a reporter is under investigation for something unconnected to news gathering. Situations in which a member of the news media is deemed an agent of a foreign power or a member of a foreign terrorist group. Or when necessary to prevent an imminent or concrete risk of death or serious bodily harm. The Justice Department developed the regulation in consultation with press freedom advocates and also in conjunction with the uh, consultation with the Times, the Post, Associated Press, CBS, CNN, Dow Jones, NBC, and The New Yorker, all that kind of stuff, all right? Now, you might be thinking, what about Project Veritas? Wasn't there some sort of case going on with New York Times and Project Veritas and about Project Veritas protections and that kind of thing that weren't? That's about to come up. The regulation defines news gathering as the process by which a member of the news media collects, pursues, or obtains information or records for purposes of producing content intended for public dissemination, including classified information from confidential sources. The Justice Department is also said to have removed espionage from a list of criminal activities that are excluded from protected news gathering. The final regulation does not cover criminal acts committed in the course of obtaining information or useful inf or using information. So you still can't, you can't, this isn't a permission to be a criminal, but you have protections as a journalist. Those include breaking and entering theft, unlawful surveillance, wiretapping, all that kind of stuff that you would expect. While the regulation is limited to members of the news media, the department did not define that term, a notoriously murky task in the internet era. The regulation instead says that when that person's status is in question, the head of the department's criminal division will decide. It also says that if the official finds genuine uncertainty on whether an act falls within the scope of news gathering, the attorney general will then intervene. Two investigations that span the Trump and Biden eras have raised questions about how the department defines members of the news media. In July 29 or in 2019, I think it was June 2019. In 2019, the department charged WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange with crimes that include violating the Espionage Act by soliciting and publishing classified information. Just as traditional reporters do when gathering news about national security matters. The indictment was brought in connection with archives of military and diplomatic documents leaked by Chelsea Manning, etc. I really can't wait for that extradition to happen so that I can cover that case as it plays out. Really looking forward to that. The department also obtained search warrants for emails in 2020 and locations in 2021 associated with Project Veritas. Now, of course, they're going to characterize it like they were going after Project Veritas, but as I detailed for y'all in a substack I wrote back in November, almost exactly a year ago, and as I detailed recently when the people who stole the, buyer, the, the diary and were trying to sell it uh, were busted. DOJ wasn't after Project Veritas for that. They were after the evidence that Project Veritas had gathered because, in my opinion, Project Veritas is both a news agency and an intelligence 
agency. They are both. Project Veritas fought this and used this court case to fight for First Amendment protections for journalists. It remains unclear. Now, in this article, it says it remains unclear whether or how the Justice Department interpreted its news media rules as applies to search warrants and data seizures aimed at Project Veritas. Well, I can tell you these Charlie Savage actually knows New York Times and Project Veritas are in a battle with each other. But this guy actually knows that DOJ was not after Project Veritas, um, but they're going to keep trying to make their audience believe that they were. It used to be extremely rare for the Justice Department to charge people with a crime for providing information to reporters without authorization or to seize reporters' records in an effort to identify their sources. Well, that's true, but that's not what was going on in the Project Veritas case. They were after the people who uh, were in a conspiracy to steal the diary and then sell it. Okay. After the scope of the Trump era tactics against major news outlets came to light, Mr. Biden vowed to ban the practice. In apparent off-the-cuff remarks, he described it as simply, simply wrong, Okay, leading to Mr. Garland's memo in 2021. The codification of the changes will make it harder for future administrations to roll it back. I, personally, I don't have a problem with any of this. I think this is great. More protections for journalists to do what they do. And if they commit criminal acts, they can still get subpoenas and search warrants and things like that if they fall under investigation. Now, what it makes me think of, the first thought I had after reading this is we are supposed, we're, we, many of us are expecting a whole lot of D-class to happen, aren't we? And we're expecting a lot of information to come out through FOIAs, through other means, through court cases, what have you. And there's going to be a lot of indie journalists who are going to be relied upon to disseminate that information. And right before that happens, these First Amendment protections of journalists are being shored up in DOJ policy. So I, my first thought about this is that it's a really good thing because a whole bunch of First Amendment protections are being acknowledged by DOJ and codified into their policy right before things like the next Durham indictment, um, the Weiss investigation into Hunter Biden, all the all the whistleblowers coming forward from the FBI, like there's there's all of this stuff that we're expecting to get disclosed and get revealed, and right before that happens, all these protections are coming out. So, I think it's a, this is a good thing in and of itself, but. In the context of the time period we're in, I think it's extra good. Like it, the timing of this is really, really good in considering what I think is ahead of us and what I think a lot of y'all believe is ahead of us. Now, someone brought up in chat, and I hadn't even thought about this. What about True the Vote and Greg and Catherine? 
Well, I'm not sure because they're not, I'm not sure they're journalists, but they shared a bunch of information with journalists. So I wonder if this actually helps out people who have done a lot of reporting on what Greg and Catherine provided to us at the pit and what they've revealed since then. You know, like Cag Drogo, Kanakoa the Great, and some others come to mind. I wonder if, you know, this actually helps them quite a bit. So, pretty interesting. Now, it reminds me, I, of course, we all know um, that Greg and Catherine, uh, during my show last Monday, um, Greg and Catherine were arrested and put into jail by U.S. Marshals. And... I would ask that we all continue to pray for them and pray for all the people involved with true the vote. Um, I, I am, I am of the opinion that they are good people trying to do good work and credit and they're credible people. I think the, I'm not too happy with the judge. I'm not ready to come out and accuse this judge of being corrupt. I would prefer to have some specific information that, you know, I could I could cite this and say this is why I think the judge is corrupt, rather than it, rather than accusing him of being corrupt just because I don't like what he did. But I've been thinking about what's going on with that judge, and I've been thinking about Greg and Catherine and their CHS or their their confidential source, and their confidential source is not in the legal sense a confidential source, right? They're not, they're not, um, a law enforcement agency. They have a source who they are trying to keep secret, but it's not in the legal sense, a confidential source, right? So... I think they do have, I think I understand why the judge is saying, no, you have to give these names up. They don't have le there's not a legal protection of these sources. And I think Greg and Catherine are saying, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to jeopardize our source because, and it's understandable because if they did reveal exactly who that source was, then Connick would sue that person and that person would, would be his, their, life would be in danger. Um, so I, I get, I think, I think what they're doing is noble and righteous. Um, so, and I, and I had seen that he was, uh, there was some agreement trying to be worked out with this source to come forward. And I hope that plays, I hope that plays out, but, um, yeah. I think we should keep praying for Greg and Catherine and all the people at True the Vote. Um, I think they're doing. I think they're doing great work. Great work. Now I see someone says, "Where is it?" Uh, Dandy Saint Cloud says Greg Phillips is a journalist, and I'm a journalist, and we all have First Amendment protections as journalists. Look, I don't. I guess I am. Um, I never set out to be a journalist. I just wanted to do research and present what I found and give my thoughts on it. So, um, but I'm definitely in the media. So 
and I and I went to the pit and I did reporting on the pit. So my actions line up with that of a journalist. Um, I guess one thing that makes me apprehensive about calling myself a journalist is that it's become a bit of a a bad word <laughs> over the past several decades. Uh, so, but it's true. What I do is journalism. It is what I do is journalism. So yeah, I, I, I guess I could see, I could see how Greg, I could see how Greg would qualify as a journalist as well. I could see that. Yeah, that's right, Sparky, over on Foxhole. Citizen journalism is the new journalism. Amen to that. Amen to that. I love it. We need more We need more citizen journalists. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. I think that's, that's, that's what I wanted to cover today, guys. So, reminder... If um if you missed it, there is a bonus hour where I go over some more of the uh, Pelosi break-in news. Um, it's over on my Rumble, it's on my locals, and the the podcast version is on my Substack. All the shows I do, I always make a podcast version. I post it on my Substack, justhuman.substack.com, and you can either use the Substack app to listen to that podcast, or you can set it up to feed the podcast to your favorite podcast player. As far as I know, I'm still active on Apple podcast and everywhere else. I haven't been banned from there yet. I don't think so. Hope you all have a great day. I will be live again on Friday morning, 9 30 AM. And then I'll be live at 9 30 PM on Sunday night with me and burning bright having a conversation. Um, and yeah, Looking forward to it. Should be good, guys. I hope you all have a great Wednesday and a great rest of the week. Oh, oh yeah, and Bolsonaro. Dude, so Bolsonaro's election got totally stolen, and then Netanyahu the next day wins an election, and now there's supposedly going to be a military audit of the election in Brazil. Talk about narrative seating. Talk about narrative seeding. And the next Formula One race is in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. It's not this weekend, but next weekend, this Threadfest weekend, so I'm going to miss it. But nobody spoil it for me. I'll be really upset. But I'm not even sure the, the Formula One race is actually going to be able to happen because of the unrest in Brazil. Like, if people can't... if fans, staff, drivers, and teams can't go to and from the racetrack, then they're not going to be able to do a race. So I would be really upset if the race is canceled, but it would certainly draw a lot of international attention. Formula One is the second most popular sport in the entire world uh, next to the World Cup. So, I mean, we're talking about tens and tens of millions of people watch Formula One every weekend or every weekend that it's on anyway. So if F1 is canceled, which I think it will be, I really do think the F1 race 
will be canceled because it just either won't be safe or it just won't be possible to safely travel to and from. And even if it, they can, if they can't get, um, there's certain safety requirements about being able to get a helicopter in and out in case of an injury, um, all those emergency services type stuff. You know, if the emergency services in Sao Paulo are overwhelmed by this election-related protest, that's another thing that could cause Formula One to be canceled. And the decision to cancel it has to happen like now. They can't decide to cancel it the day before. They need to decide early on because all of this equipment is being shipped over there. I did see a bunch of equipment for the race was on the way to the track and got caught up in the roadblocks. Eventually it was cleared and it made it all the way to the track. But yeah, there's, I kind of have a feeling it's going to be canceled. I really do. And as much of a bummer as that would be, that race is always one of the best races of the year. It would certainly draw international attention to what's going on in Brazil. And yeah, it just, that, that might not be a bad thing, right? If there's, if there's some exposure of how election fraud was pulled off in Brazil this time around, then yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. So anyway, y'all have a great day and I'll see you on Friday morning.